Please rise for their majesties of Royally Obsessed, the podcast for all things royals. Three cheers for His Majesty the King. Welcome back to Royally Obsessed. I'm your co-host, Roberta. And I'm Rachel. And we have a jam-packed episode today. As always, the royals are up to a lot traveling the world, it seems. Before we get into all that, first, email us info at gallerypodcastswithans.com. We love hearing from our listeners. Also, follow us on Instagram at Royally Obsessed Podcast. Also, I should say that you can call us up easily if you have an Amazon Alexa device. You just have to say, play Royally Obsessed Podcast. So we can be in your home, in your car, wherever you are. Finn has become proficient at using Alexa, but he thinks you have to (laughs) scream it at the top of your lungs. And he had a babysitter yesterday and he was just like, I can't even do it here. But he was like, because it'll hurt our listeners ears. But I was like, dude, you do not need to yell at that level to get Alexa to respond to you. Anyways tangent aside. We have so much to discuss coming up. Kenya, Singapore, Las Vegas. I feel like the royals have been everywhere. You've been everywhere, too. I want to hear about Turks and Caicos. We'll be talking about it all in this episode. Also, the state opening of Parliament. Earthshot happened. Oh, my gosh. It's been a year since Boston. And James Middleton's baby news. We've got a byline Times investigation. Really, as we always like to say, a royal grab bag of news. And now it's time for the Weekly Royal Cocktail. And to get through all of that and that globe trotting, and to kind of stave off some of the daylight savings time blues, I don't know if you're feeling it, but when it hits 6 o'clock and it's pitch black outside, I am just so sad right now, especially coming out off of vacation too. But to do that, we're going to have a tropical royal refreshment because I wanted to mention that I sipped quite a few pina coladas while in Turks. And so that is one way that I'm going to keep the winter blues at bay for sure. Please tell me everything about Turks and Caicos. You were there with Dave. Was it wonderful? I was there with Dave and his parents. It was so wonderful. We had great weather. It's hit or miss because it's the end of hurricane season this time of year, but it was great. We had a few rainy days, but that was fine. A break from the beach and the sun. And You'll be so proud. I wore so much sunscreen, a big wide brim yes, hat. Yes, Roberta. Yes. Which I, I feel like I haven't done in past years. And now I'm kind of patting myself on the back. I'm an adult now. I mean, I went to the dermatologist last week now that you bring this up. And I asked about sunscreen and my you know aging process as I go through it. And she was like, sunscreen is not enough. She said what yours did, where it's like, you got to have the hat. You need a wide brimmed hat. Yep. You got to have coverage. And it's such a hard thing, but it's just climate is changing. The atmosphere is changing. It's so harsh. My derm said the same exact thing. And they actually recommended a tinted sunscreen because Ooh, the better me. to block. Well, I, I like the Elta MD and the tinted one is that's what she one, said, too. This Elta is like MD. not sponsored, by the way. <laughs> Just our favorite. No, picks. it's not. But this is what yeah. my dermatologist also said. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But that's I think it's because if it's not see through it, it blocks light better. And so that was something I was very conscious of. And as we all go through the aging process, it's so important. I I think that was one of the things on vacation that I thought of was just like not trying to get burnt like I used to. So oh, yeah. that was, but it was beautiful. It was lovely. 
What about your Halloween, though? Tell me everything. I missed you. I always miss you. Um, and I get to see you tomorrow, which I'm so over the moon about. Halloween was amazing. It was super fun. Brooklyn just explodes with creativity on Halloween. So it was the best day. I oh. did also want to call it because it was the marathon weekend. And my wonderful group of friends from high school was in town. My friend Stephanie surprised me at the end of dinner. I'm, it's a, it's crumbling a little, but she brought me this Life oh. magazine with, from the Queen's coronation year. It was oh uh, February 18th, 1952. It was right after the queen was named. So it said, long live the queen. And she had it. She found it in her attic. And she was like, I just feel like I haven't seen my friend Steph in so long. She was like, I feel like this belongs in your possession. So thank you, Steph, if you are listening. That's incredible. I did see one of the Roros sent us a DM about their dog dressing up as a king, as a royal for Halloween, which was incredible. The dog had a cape, a velvet cape and a crown on. Your costumes were I mean, chef's kiss, Rachel. You guys did such a good job with those. Again, credit to our producer, Judy. Also, speaking of royal costumes, did you see Chris Colfer from Glee? He dressed as Queen Elizabeth oh. II. You need to look this I up. He nailed that. it. Wait, I was who was so he on impressed. Glee? Who's Chris Colfer? He was Kurt on Glee. He like, oh. defined the show. Yeah. Oh, my gosh. The, I, have I mean, to the look first season is the gold season. But yeah. Wait, you for our listeners up. who don't know, what were you, Finn and Matt? Halloween. Oh, yeah. So we were characters from Spidey and his amazing friends. So I right, was Electro right. and Finn was Rhino and Matt was Black Cat. But Matt forgot his cat ears and was devastated. Did he forget or did he leave them on? Purpose? I know, I know. <laughs> I know. But it, you know what's hilarious is trick or treating in Brooklyn is like such a star studded scene. Like you don't even know who you're knocking on the doors of or not even knocking. Everyone's on their stoops. What famous faces did you see? I mean, Finn plucked some M&Ms from Maggie Gyllenhaal. Like, I feel oh. like that was kind of exciting. Oh and just like a lot of, you know, sort of t- smaller celebs and things like that. But it, it's, you know, it's just kind of exciting in a scene here always. I love the creativity. That's what I will say over and over again. Your Brooklyn life is just like not real. It's like a dream. It's no, insane. It's <laughs> it is. I the people you run into optics. on a daily basis. I'm not sure. All right. Let's move this along. We could talk yeah. for hours. <laughs> All right, moving on. We did get a lovely listener email from Martha, who's written in before. She writes, I just wanted to share this with you because I would be hard-pressed to think of anyone who would share more in this excitement than the two of you. The Duchess of Edinburgh will be in St. Catharines, my home city, this weekend, and I'll be leading the remembrance service with her in attendance. Apparently, I will get to meet her and get a picture, too. I will let you know how it goes and send the picture if I can. I hope I can speak coherently in her presence. I'm quite starstruck. Smiley face. Anyway, thanks again for all you do with the podcast. It's great to feel part of a community of people who are similarly royally obsessed from Martha in the Anglican Church. That is such a cool opportunity. I can't wait to see the pics. I know. I would be so nervous, too. I would be very nervous, but I feel like the Duchess of Edinburgh will make you feel just Eddie's as all the royals. That's what the line that keeps getting thrown around with all these visits around the world is that they make you feel so at ease. So I, I yes. believe that will happen for Martha. We are also Sophie stands, But I also needed to mention another royal run in that I feel like six degrees of separation. Like we know Martha's going to see Sophie. I also know someone who was at a wedding that Princess Beatrice was at. This weekend in Manhattan, it was a very lavish wedding. There were about 200 people there. But I have to share these DMs because I was freaking out that this this is a friend of a friend that went to this wedding. 
So this friend writes, in addition to the princess, Ashton Kutcher and Mila Kunis were also there. No clue how she's connected to all of them, but she seemed to have a great time, stayed all night, danced with everyone. No one was asking her for pictures. The whole family was freaking out. A lot of people noticed her, but mostly Princess Beatrice just hung out with people she knew. And a lot of people did go over to say hi. I feel like that's just what would you do in that situation, Rachel? I mean, I feel like I'm so Brooklyn trained and New York trained and you are, too, to just pretend it's not happening. Right. In that. I mean, if it's a wedding and there's 200 people. But we are royally obsessed. I would have to go over. (laughs) I would have to go over. I don't know. I mean, we met her mom. Yeah, exactly. What a good entry point to the conversation. Exactly. And now, this week in royal history. All right. Well, this week in royal history, I think this might be my favorite historical moment to flashback to. But if we've done it before, we're doing it again because we love it so much. But Charles and Diana's dinner at the White House in November 1985. This was part of a three-day state visit to America. I love looking back at the archive of how newspapers covered it at different points. The Washington Post, this headline, the royal rush begins. Charles and Diana shake up the town. They really did. Thousands of people turned up to see them, but mainly Diana, as we know famously today. (laughs) They did many appearances. They popped up at many charities and had a full schedule while they were here. But the main event was the state dinner at the White House with Diana in her Victor Edelstein gown. Neil Diamond was quoted on the carpet ahead of entering the occasion saying, I'm so nervous. My stomach is all butterflies. I'd rather face an audience of 20,000 people. What? (laughs) I think it's amazing how starstruck even the stars were in specifically Diana's presence. There were some mishaps that occurred. I guess Reagan, President Reagan, referred to Diana as Princess David in his toast. That sounds like a Biden slip up, honestly. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Charles also gave a speech but forgot to end with a toast. At the end, he's supposed to say cheers to the president and raise his glass. So he sat down and then had to jump back up and exclaim, I've forgotten the toast. Did it, you know, tacked it on. Coverage also stated that the impressive event should be a barometer for how the U.S. views royalty. And I think that that's just what's so fascinating to me is the course that Diana really set us on with our royal interest. Mm. I think so many people that listen to the pod entered around the Diana era and just the the reception to them when they came to the U.S. I also don't know that I've realized this in the past, but the fact that Diana was the one that specifically requested the Hollywood presence of Clint Eastwood, John Travolta, and Neil Diamond. Did you know that? Oh, I She didn't. asked for those guests to be in attendance. What yeah. a trifecta of men right there. <laughs> yeah. Also knowing, like, I feel like who would you request in present day? It's just so funny. It's like a great example of the era that they were totally. living in, like who were the VIPs in the 80s. Who would you request? I'm Like the first person that comes to mind for me is Jeremy Allen White from The Bear. <laughs> Oh, gosh. What's his new show? I was seeing this bubbling up. It's that boxing movie with Zac Efron and um, Harris Dickinson, I think is his name. But the the pictures of those three men just reminded me of these three guys. Totally different. Total different era and movie and whatever. But I mean, we have to say Prince Harry and Prince William, obviously. But of course. All right. Well, moving on to that, though, the moment of the night was Diana taking to the a spin around the dance floor with John Travolta. I'm going to play this clip of an interview with Travolta talking about it from Inside Edition. Nancy Reagan uh, tapped on my shoulder and said, the princess, her fantasy is to dance with you. Would you dance with her tonight? And I said, well, of, of course. My heart starts to race, you know, and 
I tap her on the shoulder and she turns around and looks at me and she had that, that, that kind of bashful dip that she did. And she looked up at me and I said, would, would you care to dance with me? And she said, yes. Like mm. a fairy tale, Roberta. My gosh, with the dr- dramatic music piping in in that clip. <laughs> I can just picture it perfectly. Yeah, I love kind of the details that continue to come out. I know Pete Souza, the White House photographer at the time, has shared some of it as well. But bottom line, two things are clear about their visit. The fanfare for Diana, that's what was getting crowds out. There was this quote from a 16-year-old who met the princess. He said, Charles is cool, but I'm jealous of him. He gets to live with her all the time. Also from this 16-year-old, she's not real. She's too gorgeous. Like, Mm. I just feel like everyone just, the adoration was centered on Diana. I also feel like this was fascinating. I read about the intensity of the press. This Boston Herald reporter talked about the stark differences between the U.S. media and the U.K. media. And I think she described it as it made them, the U.S. media, look like attendees at the ballet compared to the behavior of the U.K. press that were covering this tour. She said, they speak so cultured and act like animals. One hit me in the head with his bag and another knocked my glasses off. I'm just glad my blue cross was paid up before I left Boston. Oh, my goodness. So just to speak to the frenzy that was created, but the differences between the, you know, press. I, I mean, it's one person's account, but interesting to think about. That's so fascinating, too, because I feel like Fleet Street does sort of have that kind of really reputation. Yeah, yeah, really rough reputation sometimes. I wanted to mention, too, did you see Barbara Streisand's memoir came out recently? This is topical and timely because she mentions her run in with Diana. And I loved the little anecdote. It's really short, but she says something like they were at a movie premiere and Diana stood up and then that's when Barbara Streisand was allowed to stand up. They had to wait till the royals stood up. So she followed protocol. Diana noticed that Barbara Streisand's skirt zipper had fallen down a little bit and helped zip it back up the back of her skirt and like said something like, you're so lovely and I admire you so much. Diana said that to Barbara Streisand. So I just thought that was so nice. And I hope to be able to read that memoir one day. I know. It's just so down to earth. I love that detail. All right, we have to say to an honorable mention to Lady Louise Windsor, whose 20th birthday is today, the day we're recording. Happy birthday. Oh, happy birthday, Lady Louise. I love that. Okay, let's get into the news of the week. I'm going to kick us off with the Byline Times investigation that we've kind of heard bubbling up, but we haven't gotten a chance to talk about it yet and discuss it. I'm so excited to talk about it with you, Rachel. So this is a three-year investigation, the culmination of which it started in 2020. The headline is The Truth About Mexit. Dun, dun, dun. I feel like we need to, like, pipe in some dramatic music there. (laughs) Grab that Inside Edition track, although that was too wistful. We need something more intense. (laughs) There's been a few summaries published about it because you do have to pay for it. I paid for it out of pocket. It was £3.95, so it's like $5. And... It's lengthy. It's very lengthy. They give you a little excerpt on the website, but it it is an in-depth piece. It's I think there's probably about 10 pages dedicated to just this Meghan and Harry story alone. The long story short, though, I just really wanted to boil it down for you, Rachel, is that Harry and Meghan, in their legal filings around the time when they had already left Buckingham Palace, were living in Canada, named Kensington Palace a Christian Jones in their legal documents as he was the partner to the person, a publicist, who they found was leaking information about them to journalist Dan Wooten. Byline Investigates alleges that the royal family didn't want Christian Jones embroiled in this controversy because he was obviously 
working for the palace at the time. So their answer to Harry involving Christian Jones in his legal filings was to remove the agreed upon Sandringham funding. They pulled the plug on the money, which was, you know, we had that big summit with the queen. We remember in spare that Harry laid out five different plans. They all laid out five different plans and they picked kind of a middle ground that they all agreed upon, which was Mm -hmm. they would get about, I think it was 700 or 800,000 pounds for a year to figure out what they were going to do and for their security, because a big chunk of that, I think almost all of that goes to security for them. Yeah. That funding was pulled, as Harry mentioned in the Oprah interview. He also mentioned in Spare. It was pulled dramatically. And the reason why was sort of secret or not really revealed until now. Vague, yeah. So the smoking gun of all of this investigation in Byline Times reporting is this picture of the Sun journalist Dan Wooten, former Sun journalist, I should say, with Christian Jones, who worked for Kensington Palace at the time, and his partner, Christian Jones's partner, who was a publicist, all at Dan Wooten's 35th birthday party together. It's on. It, it was on Instagram. It was on Dan's Instagram. And it's a picture of them all together. I think the reason why this is the smoking gun is because there were multiple investigations happening behind the scenes. There was one by the government. There was one by the Met. There was Simon Case, who was working for the Buckingham Palace. And none of them could find a connection as to why Christian Jones, his partner, and Dan Wooten all knew each other. And they had said they they knew who they each other were, but they were never friends. Well, this picture kind of proves otherwise. It proves that they were actually pretty close mm-hmm. friends. The reporting of that party, that birthday party for Dan Wooten, was that only 20 people were invited. So if you're in this 20-person circle, you're probably oh pretty close to this person. That's intimate. But what I want to discuss with you is because this is just so fascinating. I feel like this is really opening a can of worms that we almost don't even have time to really scratch the surface of. But playing devil's advocate, why would Buckingham Palace essentially choose this person who works for them, who works for Kensington Palace, Christian Jones, over Prince Harry? I don't understand. Yeah, I have no idea. My my devil's advocate is that they were... I, this is totally just me, you know, playing the other side of the story. But like, were they really fed up with how everything went down with Harry and Meghan? And they just wanted to say, we're done. We're through. I don't know. I know what was agreed upon on both sides with that middle ground option as well, that just this kind of pushed it over the edge, this naming of the person and they wouldn't have continued conversations. Maybe it was just a tipping point moment, but yeah. it is. That's the part that we, I guess, as followers have to fill in the blanks exactly i think one headline i thought was like harry realizes like from i think it's from the movie scream like the calls coming from inside the house like oh my gosh it was totally just this like backstabbing moment for him if this is all how you know this is all allegedly how it went down that he realized that they would honestly take that the palace would take cover for a person who worked for them rather than Prince Harry himself. I think that's where it gets really dicey. And I think, too, it's it's obviously muddled because investigations didn't turn up this photo till now. So we didn't realize mm-hmm. that there was this connection. And it sounds like maybe some people misrepresented this in the past, misrepresented the relationship between Christian Jones and Dan Wooten and his partner. I think what's interesting, too, is the partner of Christian Jones is the one who's accepting the payments. So it's really not Christian Jones himself, an employee of the firm. But what they didn't want to happen was have an employee of theirs, a current employee, 
embroiled in all of this. It's very bizarre. It makes no sense. I know. But it's definitely worth the spend to read the whole thing. It is. And I think my biggest question right now is where's a lot of the British coverage of it? Because I know the Daily Beast has published their summary of the Byline Investigates reporting. The New York Post, which is a Murdoch-owned corporation similar to The Sun, also published a summary of it. Two American papers. But then we do have ITV. Chris Ship, who's a reporter for ITV, he looked into this, but not much else in the way of British press covering it. So it'll be interesting to see the fallout. And I don't know, this was around Halloween. So it's been a week or so, but we'll see. Yeah. Okay. Moving on, I wanted to give a few more updates about Harry and Meghan. Totally different, a change of subject pivot (laughs) from that heavy stuff. I love the pivot. We saw a candid photo of them on Halloween. Someone, a witness nearby when they were out trick-or-treating in Montecito. Although some people have claimed this isn't them, but I mean, I I feel like it's undoubtedly them. Megan seems to be wearing a witch's hat and Harry is kind of just dressed normally in like a baseball cap. Archie is wearing an all-black onesie, which a lot of people, I guess page six, assumed it's a skeleton costume. I don't know if we can assume, but very cute if it is. And then Lilibet, who Megan's holding, is in some kind of bubble pink puffy outfit. Did you have any idea what this might be? I have none. And I spent some time like looking up pink costumes, trying to see if anyone else broke the scoop on that, like or had the scoop on what that was. But I have no idea. I saw someone say Peppa Pig, and I think that's a good guess. I feel like that could be a cute outfit. I did think that one of the closest resemblances I found was to some sort of pig costume, but I don't I don't know. I I do think it's there at such a fun age where I'm sure the kids have so many opinions about what they are for Halloween. I was also surprised maybe because there's a lot of internal discussion at Pure Wow about the pros and cons of family costumes. Like I thought Meghan and Harry might go for some sort of family costumes if this is allegedly them. I know it's a candid photo just also because of the disguise element of it. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, I think that like it keeps them sort of out of the no one can know that it's them. I guess their kids are probably pretty recognizable in their hood. But I I think that it's interesting. Yeah, The witch's hat feels like she really phoned it in at the last minute. (laughs) Yeah. But a lot of parents are not into the group costumes. I saw some hot takes around Halloween of media brands being like to hell with family costumes they're over no. but then internally up here wow we were a lot of the parents were like we love them so it's hot hot debate i love them too but growing up as a kid whose parents never dressed up with them like i get it i think it's like a lot to just get your kid prepared for halloween so it is maybe yeah, my parents it, never you know. did either i think that i just probably use it as an excuse to dress up <laughs> i love that for you <laughs> Two more things I want to mention quickly. Harry appeared. He popped up in a video for the 17th annual Stand Up for Heroes benefit presented by Bob Woodruff and the New York Comedy Festival. This was really sweet. It was really cute. Tom Hanks was there in attendance. Bruce Springsteen performed. And I want to play a little clip from his speech. Good evening, everyone. And hello, New York. Obviously, I was deeply honored when Bob asked me to debut my stand up act with you all tonight. I was so relieved to be invited back. But then I started to question whether his invite for me to actually do stand-up was in fact his idea of a joke. Either way, due to the shockingly low representation of gingers last year and out of respect for my fellow endangered species, here I am reporting for duty. Now, you're probably thinking, please God, don't let him drink beer out of a prosthetic limb again or make some inappropriate joke that only the military amongst us would get. Well, I assure you there's no need to worry, because I was born for this. 
As someone who never gets scrutinized, I haven't even had to prepare much. But out of an abundance of caution, I have been working on this particular act for quite some time, and everyone I know tells me it's perfect. And no, these aren't people who just tell me what I want to hear. Oh no, these are people like my finance manager, my lawyer, and of course, my Reiki healer. A few little asides that I thought were funny as someone who doesn't ever get scrutinized. Yes, right? Okay, last bit of Sussex update. Katy Perry concert. It was actually the last day of her Las Vegas residency when Meghan and Harry popped up with their close friends, Misha Nunu and Mikey Hess. They were seen arriving with a quite an eclectic crowd of celebrities, but I love this for them. Cameron Diaz, Benji Madden, Zoe Saldana. They supposedly all took a private jet together, which, I mean, <laughs> to be a fly on the wall of the plane. I loved Megan's Valentino mini dress, but I what I really want to discuss with you is Katy Perry, because we saw her live at the Coronation concert in May. She performed for Charles when I feel like a lot of people, the rumors were that a lot of people had turned down performing at this concert. And now Harry and Meghan are showing up to support her. What did you make of this? Could Katy Perry be the mediator we all want and need between the British royals and the immediate family? Wouldn't that be hilarious? She's the one bridging the gap. Except I get really, I hate to say this, like maybe I could be totally wrong, but like really unhinged vibes from her sometimes. Like, I don't know why, but I feel like, I mean, we do know too, like she's kind of been pretty critical of Megan in the past. She said that she didn't like her wedding dress. She thought it was ill-fitting or something like that. She needed another fitting. I don't know. I have like really interesting question marks about yeah. Katy Perry. <laughs> yeah. Because Katy Perry also did um, she did that skit with Charles and Camilla yes. about, with the American Idol thing before the coronation concert. But they're neighbors, correct? They're neighbors in Montecito. Yeah. Orlando Bloom is is friends with Harry. They're like quite close friends. Yeah. I don't know. It's just so fascinating to me. I'm also just fascinated by the concert track that they are on, like the Sussexes, where it's like Beyonce, Katy yeah. Perry, supposedly Taylor Swift, although we never saw pics from that. It's it's uh, I love their social calendar. That's the only time we see them, which is, is kind of wild. I thought that the big Megan relaunch would be I know. Happening right now. And Come I guess on, not. we're ready. Okay. Moving on to more formalities because it's the king and queen that we will be discussing. But they have had quite the week kicking off on Halloween. Camilla and Charles traveled to Kenya. They were there for a f- approximately four-day visit. And this was a seemingly successful royal tour, I have to say, in the wake of Kate and William's complicated visit to the Caribbean last year. This visit also marked the 60th anniversary of Kenya's independence, and it was the king and queen's first visit to a Commonwealth country since their coronation. The highlights, I think, you know, they were everywhere and actually split up a fair amount for of royal events, which is interesting that they went on their own path so much throughout those four days. But we saw Camilla f- bottle feeding elephants. They also had a charming visit together with local school kids at Uahuru Gardens and the National Monument and Museum. I think this, in some of the royal reporting I saw in the UK and listened to, was a peak moment for many covering it, was when Charles and Camilla presented a 117-year-old World War II veteran. He's thought to be the oldest World War II veteran alive, with replacement medals after his were discarded during the Mau Mau Rebellion. 
I think this was a very poignant moment and meaningful to Charles and Camilla. And I guess Charles quipped, I think you must be living on wild honey and locusts, which just feels like such a Charles thing to say <laughs> of how, yeah. why he's lived Tell so long. Tell us your secrets, though. How is this guy 117? I want to know everything about him. I know. So I think those were some of the highlights. But still, this trip was overshadowed with a huge focus on whether or not Charles would apologize for colonial atrocities, specifically the Mau Mau Rebellion in the 1950s, in which 90,000 Kenyans were brutalized and killed, although it's only reported to be about 10,000. Numbers are significantly higher. Charles did not apologize. I'm going to play this clip of what he did say, which I think was he I think he made a strong effort at the state banquet. However, we must also acknowledge the most painful times of our long and complex relationship. The wrongdoings of the past are a cause of the greatest sorrow and the deepest regret. There were abhorrent and unjustifiable acts of violence committed against Kenyans as they waged, as you said at the United Nations, a painful struggle for independence and sovereignty. And for that, there can be no excuse. I think what just continues to be so interesting and in conversations we have is about the government limitations of Charles's role and what he is allowed to say. But I did read a lot of feedback uh, ahead of his visit from specifically a Harvard professor talked about it shouldn't matter the liability issues that this would trigger. A formal apology is required. And I think that, you know... It'll be interesting as his role evolves because he's only been about a year as king, just how he mm-hmm. bridges that gap because we have such a history with Charles. We've known him for so long and we know he is a passionate person, but now he is sort of that, unfortunately, a puppet for the government. So it's tricky. I do remember back from the Caribbean tour how this came up before and how an apology would actually necessitate the need for reparations to be paid from the Mm -hmm. government, which Charles just doesn't have the ability to do. And so in that regard, I, I just, I don't think we envy them in their position. It's such a tricky position to be in, to be in this like rock and a hard place where the government is saying like, if you say something, then this, you know, this action has to happen versus just him saying heartfelt, to people there that they're sorry and that they have the deepest sympathy for the people that suffered so much. I think what was really interesting that I read about the Kenya tour was Charles and Camille had a private meeting with some representatives from people who fought in the Mau Mau Rebellion and there was no press allowed, no cameras. It was Charles and Camilla and, and, you know, members of relatives and members of the families of these people. And just to have that kind of behind closed doors, that that almost makes me feel a little bit better about all of this and and just knowing that they did something that was hopefully soothing to some yeah. of those people there. I don't know if you saw that that meeting. I know. I do feel like Charles is the type of person, and we know from Harry's representation of him in Spare, that he is doing the work on these things, but it still feels limited. I do feel like that's a good segue into the plane video, which showed him and Camilla doing the work. Did you think that was so Yes. I liked bizarre, it. I, I liked it because I feel like it was very real. It was them sitting in first class, like reading their little papers and 
I mean, first class was empty. They must have bought out the whole cabin. I need to know more about that. How does that work logistic wise? But I liked it. Yeah, I know. I well, wasn't that was that a royal plane or something? I don't I don't know. But I do feel like it read to me a little bit like mom and dad on Instagram or also like when you see these news segments do B-roll, but then they usually insert talking over it. It's like you're walking. But this was them just turning papers <laughs> for like a few seconds. And that was it. Just I, I, I mean, it's kind of charming. Yeah, it's a day in the life behind the scenes videos that really I think are, are fun like Camilla behind Charles when he's taking the salute before the state opening of parliament I thought that was really cool to see these perspectives we don't normally get I don't think it was I think it was a commercial plane because they the first class looked like first class oh that makes planes. sense yeah but yeah so fascinating so fascinating there was also a Twitter thread that I want to mention from local press that did speak to some difficulties that were not picked up by mainstream media. A journalist there reported segregated royal tour buses for UK versus Kenyan media and also differences in lunch quality. I guess the example they gave was that the Kenyan press received stale sandwiches and used toothpicks, which is really disgusting. And I don't know how that would happen. A a stark contrast to what the UK media was given on their separate accommodations on their bus as they caravaned around. I think that seeing some of that brought to light does read poorly in the face of what the visit is supposed to be about. And there was also this red carpet moment that was called out on Twitter by a few people uh, from Nairobi National Park. And I don't think that Charles and Camilla are in control of the optics here, but it's this red carpet rolled out just so that their feet walk on the red carpet. Mm. I mean, it's it's difficult because could a royal aide grab this minutes before and be like, we don't need the red carpet. It doesn't look right because why can't their feet touch Kenyan soil in this park? It doesn't make sense. But I think just some of those moments are still the the sensitivities that don't read right. And, and that's left over from the Caribbean tour, which mm. we saw so recently. So I think just... Thinking thoughtfully about all those things is so critical with these Commonwealth visits. Yeah, I definitely get Caribbean tour flashbacks from that photo of them kind of standing on the red carpet awkwardly. But also, I think overall, this trip went so much smoother, it seems like, than that. So I think that they are learning and listening. I don't know. I think so, too. I I totally agree. I I do think it was uh, a much better received visit. Mm. Okay, moving on, though, to the state opening of Parliament. This was really exciting to see. I really enjoyed following this along, seeing Charles and Camilla travel again in the Diamond Jubilee State Coach to the Palace of Westminster, Charles's first King's Speech. This was his first as monarch. He, of course, covered in May 2022 for Queen Elizabeth, who was suffering from episodic mobility problems. That was the reason given for him stepping into the role. But, of course, he didn't wear the imperial state crown at that moment. It sat beside him on a chair noting that he was very much not the monarch. But this time, you know, all the pomp and ceremony for Charles. It was also the first king's speech in over 70 years because it was previously referred to as the queen's speech. And for me, that's sort of this, you know, wistful detail, I guess, to think about that we had her there for over, you know, I think she missed two with the births of Andrew and Edward, but otherwise she did it for about 67 years. That's a while. I I think these are the moments that are like that bowl me over and are really staggering and why the reasons why we watch the royal family it's these just so much pomp and circumstance and so much regality and the crowns and to have that history well it's it's the continuity i think the royal family illustrated it so well on their instagram they posted a clip of charles when he was three years old on the steps of buckingham palace as part of the state opening of parliament with the queen's first experience doing it so i i think that that's what we kind of are awestruck by 
the speech, though, again, going back to Charles being a bit of a, you know, he's a figurehead Mm -hmm. here, right? The speech was written by the government, the one that Charles read. It outlines the policies for the year. And the reason you can kind of understand that this is a difficult role for him and a little bit performative is that he has to talk about things that go against his views. In particular this year, a lot was about plans to expand oil and Mm. gas drilling. Of course, this goes against Charles's ideals. And I guess it was reported that he delivered it with the same deadpan political neutrality that the queen did. That Mm -hmm. is his role. So I think that that friction probably is going on behind the scenes and what he's able to do about it, how it changes, or if it stays the same is kind of interesting Mm -hmm. to follow along and see. Some details as we wrap up the conversation here. Just Camilla's coronation gown. It was so lovely. The Bruce Oldfield dress. We got to see that again. She popped on a coat later in the day, just which I also thought looked lovely. She paired with George IV's diamond diadem. So not a full-blown crown, not a tiara, but somewhere in the middle. This originates back to 1820, but the Queen wore it for the state opening of Parliament in 1952, which is meaningful. And this was before she was officially crowned, but she wore it again en route to Westminster Abbey for her coronation in 1953. This was a meaningful piece in her life so that, you know, again, the continuity seeing that transition of time. So I think that's the one she wears on the stamps, too. I think it's like, yes, like it's the most iconic. So I love this. What did you think of the gown repeat, though? Because I know we we had heard whisperings via Elizabeth Holmes, who we, you know, shout out a lot on the pod, but that she would wear it again. Bruce Oldfield hinted at that. And yeah, I think it was framed as a little bit of a sustainability thing, which makes me laugh because it's just. It's just like the most lavish gown. How could it be sustainable? But I did like that she that we get to see it again, I guess, as the public. Yeah, I do think that was nice. And I think just within their coronation first year after being Mm -hmm. coronated, it's very special to see. I do think you and I talked a little bit about how this date superseded Earthshot a bit, which we're going to talk about in a minute. But Mm -hmm. it just was fascinating because it took place on the same day. And I do feel like the state opening of parliament was so significant. So I'm curious about the royal calendars. And that's something we continue to perk up to, that there isn't a lot of effort to make sure that dates don't overlap. A lot of railroads have pointed this out, too. I got a DM from someone that was like, was Earthshot like, did it even happen? It was just such a whisper. So I think that that's, a, that's kind of how we feel a little bit, that it was a little bit overshadowed by a lot of the other things going on. And of course, because Kate wasn't there, it feels like there just wasn't as much attention, which is really tricky for William. And I think we feel for him. But all right, should we move on to our highs and lows? Yes. It's time for the Royal Highs and Lows. Before we adjourn the Royal Pod, my low this week is this Charles's birthday invite debacle. It seems like the Prince Harry camps and King Charles camps are going back and forth about the invitations for Charles's 75th birthday party, which is happening next week. The headline was, no contact regarding invitation. A spokesperson for Prince Harry tells the messenger that reports he declined an invitation for Charles's upcoming birthday are incorrect. And then Harry's spokesperson went on to say it is disappointing the Sunday Times has misreported this story. I mean, Roy Anika and Camilla Tomini both got the scoop that Harry had received an invite. So I don't know why they were lied to. I don't know. It seems so weird. It's like he said, she said, and 
was his invitation truly lost in the mail? That's what I want. Well, my question is also, which birthday celebration are they talking about? Is it this coming week or is it the trooping big ceremonious one? Maybe that's the confusion. Because this one seems like it'll be more muted. Maybe that's the confusion. Maybe Harry received a trooping the color and not a person. I think it's for next week. I think it's a personal invite for next week. I think they're going to have a big bash with like black tie. So just like a family party. Yeah, or like probably. We'll see. I can't wait to see. But yeah, I mean, one one thing I want to say, this is a long low, but I just want to point out, click that link, the 70th birthday portraits of Charles and the family. Just this such mm-hmm. a difference from five years have oh. made from then to now. Like they're all laughing. They're sitting on that bench. The grandchildren, Harry and Megan in the background. It's just that Chris Jackson photo I love, but it really is a reminder of how much things have changed. Milo is I dated, I guess, at this point, but the loss of Chandler Bing. I you know my love of friends, Roberta. I was just so gutted when that news broke. Mm-hmm. And friends was my everything, but I also feel like it's been a royal through line. I mean, Harry talks so much in spare about his regular viewing of it, how he watched all 10 seasons in 2013. Also that he was a Chandler. Like I think that they I'm I'm sure it was gutting for Harry, too, to see this, you know, just gone too soon news. Fergie also paid tribute. She appeared in the London wedding episode. And I just love that she took the time to honor Matthew Perry. And it's just permanently sad for me. So devastating. And for all our listeners, Rachel wrote such a good piece, a tribute to Matthew Perry that you should all read on purewow.com. It made me cry. I was sobbing. It was so good. Thanks. Go read it, please. Thanks. All right. My hi this week is Inigo Middleton. Congratulations to Kate's brother, James, and his wife, Elise, on their first child. They revealed that their son was born in early to mid-October. We're not sure the exact date, but he's probably almost a month old now, which time flies. Another Middleton member of the family. It's so exciting. The name means fiery or my little love in Spanish, possibly Basque. But also, it just reminds me of Mandy Patinkin from The Princess Bride, which, Rachel, we had a big discussion about this. I can't believe you haven't seen it. I'm dying. I pulled up your text just now because I got on October 27th. I have a text from Roberta that's just a gif. And it says, like, it's basically a, it's a from The Princess Bride. And it's like, you killed my father. Prepare <laughs> to die. And I just write you back with a question mark. Like, I do not understand. I was like, I don't think I did anything. I'm so sorry. What happened? But I just have not seen this movie. So I did not get the reference. I had no idea. So thankful for you. The fact that you have not seen this movie is like, it's like when you found out I'd never seen Reality Bites or 10 Things I Hate About You. I know. Okay, here's the clip that I was referring to. Hello. My name is Inigo Montoya. You killed my father. Prepare to die. If that doesn't make you want to watch that movie, (laughs) we'll get a better clip from the movie. Over my head. Oh, my gosh. As we wind down the longest highs and lows in the history of this podcast, I'm just going to say, I know we mentioned Earthshot, but Earthshot was my high. You and I will get into it. We've decided in detail next week once we have a chance to watch it. It airs on November 12th this weekend for U.S. viewers Sunday at 7 p.m. Eastern. But I think just the snippets that have come out from it, Williams, gorgeous green velvet tux. I thought he looked incredibly dashing on that green carpet. I love that. Rebecca Walton, Hannah Waddingham stealing the show from Ted Lasso. I think she looked stunning as well. I did love the Kate versus Kate. Was that an intentional joke that Kate Blanchett was on William's arm versus Kate, the, his wife? I thought that was kind of silly. But I, I'm excited to watch the awards and I love this cause. 
I will add, please bring Kate with a K, Catherine, back next year. Yeah, I hope George aced those exams because, like, if he didn't, that's not an okay excuse to miss it. Yeah, it's all for naught. <laughs> yes, we missed no, out on your mom. No at pressure, George. Come on. But you better have aced. No those. pressure. All right, just a reminder before we close: please leave us a royal rating on Apple Music or wherever you listen. We actually noticed that there's an ability to leave comments on Spotify now, and so this comment is from Nick from our last episode. This person writes, whoa, what a great episode slash guest. Longtime listener, first time emailer. Been a fan since Lisa and Caitlin. Great work, ladies. I believe that was about the Jane Marguerite Tippett episode regarding Edward VIII. So thank you so much for that feedback. We're so glad that you guys liked it. Leave us more of these Spotify whatever's, Q&As, questions, comments, whatever they're called. Reminders to subscribe so you never miss an episode of Royal News. You want to be as up to date as we are with the news. Follow us on Instagram at Royally Obsessed Podcast. And please let us know what you think. Info at gallerypodcasts.com. That's the easiest way to reach us. And till next week, God, God save, save the pod. The pod. Her Majesties of Royally Obsessed have retired for this episode. God save the pod. And if you fancy the podcast, give Royally Obsessed the royal rating of five stars on Apple Podcasts. Follow us on Instagram at Royally Obsessed Podcast and join our Facebook group, Royally Obsessed. Royally Obsessed is a gallery podcast production.